This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Life is always throwing us curveballs that we need to adjust to. Ryan Carlson knows that. Ryan is the CMO of Okta, and recently he and his team had to deal with one of the toughest curveballs they've ever faced. Ryan sat down with Marketing Trends and discussed how Okta took a 6,000-person conference and pivoted to a virtual event on short notice. Ryan also touched on how he sees events adapting to a new normal and how Okta has permanently changed its strategy moving forward. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today, recurring guest is back. Ryan, what's going on? How you doing, Ian? You know, uh, obviously things are crazy, but but things are good in, in our world. And uh, I'm super excited to talk to you about what has been going on at Okta. You recently just finished your huge event and it was all digital. So we're going to get into a bunch of that uh, and really just uh, just an update for our listeners on all things Okta and uh, Ryan Carlson related. So um, first, I guess, what has been up since we last spoke? Obviously, uh, you know, the world changed and, and we're in the middle of a pandemic. But what what has been the response so far um, that you've seen? Yeah, I mean, you said that the world has completely changed and, and uh, it's affecting, you know, everyone clearly in, in their uh, personal lives and certainly at work. And, you know, a big part of what we had to do was, as you mentioned, our big conference was was happening in the middle of this. So that was a very acute example of ways in which we've had to adjust and adapt and be flexible. We've tried to do that across all aspects of the business, um, including how we, you know, talk about and market our product and our company. And then, of course, you know, more important than all that is how everybody's figuring out how to manage their personal lives, what's happening outside of work, because that's clearly the number one priority. And so we, as a leadership team, I uh, and, the, and my marketing leadership team, I spent a lot of time figuring that part out. Everybody's situation is unique. Um, and we want to ensure that everybody has what they need to be safe and healthy and <clears throat> maintain, you know, some semblance of sanity in the face of all this, and then try to get work done at the same time. Yeah. And you have a, a unique kind of opportunity here as a company that is actually needed during a time of crisis. Um, You know, you recently signed a a huge partnership agreement with um, and and announced recently, so I I can let you share that. Um, But it's something that is not uh, is not a hey, we can pause and like, try to figure out what's going on thing. It's like, if anything, it seems like the operational tempo has actually ramped up for you all. I'm curious how, how that has been. Yeah, the, the nature of our product and what Okta does can actually help organizations who are distributed, who are working remotely, um, who are trying to connect with their customers digitally. Our product is is tailor-made for that. So we, you know, frankly, have spent a lot of time thinking about what is the right way to message during this time. Because with what's happening in the world, if you look like you're trying to capitalize upon it or take advantage of, of you know, a disastrous situation, it's just... It's just not in our DNA. It's not who we are. It's not how we think about it. Um, and so, but at the same time, we know that if companies use our product, they can actually 
you survive and thrive and be more secure in a distributed environment. And so we wrestled with what's the right way to do that. And we settled upon a strategy of let's make of, you know, the portions of our product that can really help people, you know, the things like single sign on and two factor authentication. Uh, if they want to use that for cloud apps, you know, everybody's reaching for things like zoom and Slack and other tools like that right now, our product helps make those products better. And so we said the, the right thing for us to do is to make those products available for free, you know, for we're, we're making them free for at least six months, but we'll extend that if we need to so that we really could get a product that helps into the hands of organizations who need it and not make them feel like we're trying to, to capitalize upon that or take advantage of it. And that's worked really well. We call it Okta for emergency remote work. And um, the product offering has already been deployed by, you know, well over a hundred organizations and many hundred more are, are in the process of, of evaluating it and hopefully, you know, deploying it. And that has been something that we felt like we could do for everybody um, with our product, and um, because again, it, it genuinely helps. But it also, you know, helped uh, internally with morale and just rallying people around the fact that hey, we work in a company that has created a product that can help right now. Let's let's you know, and if there's anything that can help give people confidence or peace of mind, it's knowing that we can go help other organizations who may be otherwise struggling. And so we really talked about internally that a lot. Tried to find the right balance between you know, making sure we're running the business, but also putting our product in the hands of organizations who could use it. And so that's what we did. Yeah, it really is a, a tough time. And, you know, it's something that on this show and, and on our, our other shows as well that we've talked about, I mean, it's really tough when, you know, there's 30 million people that are, you know, unemployed or about to be unemployed when you're talking about, you know, trying to to move forward and to do work. It's, it's really tough to talk about, uh, you know, selling new products and services, but, um but the truth of the matter is, like you said, the entire you know economy shifting um, to remote work for those companies that can do remote work. Like, there's a massive need to be safe, to be secure, to uh, to not you know have uh, have operational losses you know ev across the board. Because when you know the economy does turn back on, we we need to you know th there's still going to be a ton of rem remote work that's happening in the meantime, and like. If you have a solution that can help, um, it is it, it's it's important to get that message out there. How have you been organizing your team to help share that message? Like, is it normal marketing functions? Is it is it shifting some of those? Is it focusing some of the team on, for example, like the demand gen activities that you'd be used to doing that you shift those? Like, how have how have you shifted the team's uh, effort? Yeah, you know, as we're recording this, we're a couple of months into the pandemic and the shelter in, in place and. For us, we really paid close attention. I'll, I'll answer your organizational question in a second, but there, we paid close attention to just how the how other companies and how the world was talking about this. And we've noticed that this far into it, it's no longer, we, we were concerned about coming across as tone deaf about, hey, if we're talking about our products right now, are we really, you know, not really paying attention to what matters? And we have noticed many companies who genuinely have products or services that can help are openly talking about it. And you, it is weird now to hear an advertisement or to see some kind of um, you know product discussion that's not acknowledging COVID nineteen, and so it's 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 not just that the tipping point has happened where people feel like they they need to acknowledge it, but it feels totally acceptable to talk about a product or service that can help in this time because people need that, um, whether that be something in your personal life or in our case, what we can do to help companies. So we really paid attention to that, and now we feel like we have the full green light 
to go and talk about the product um, and service. And what we've really done uh, from an organizational standpoint is we have the right structure, we have the right team. We just added a whole new set of campaigns that took priority over the other ones that we plan to run. And the Octo for Emergency Remote Work campaign is everybody's priority. And a core part of the, what we've always done in marketing, but what we're especially doing now, is focusing on telling the stories of customers or organizations who have had success so others can learn from them. You know, as of the recording of this, you know, we announced recently that Federal Express, you know, the company doesn't need any introduction. They had to, on very short order, uh, change their entire workforce to be uh, working remotely like everybody else. Over 400,000 people at FedEx were made up. We accelerated our deployment of Okta and got them up and running in just 36 hours across those 400,000 employees. And that really helped them shift their entire workforce into this new way of, of, of working. And what we want to do is use success stories like that to show others how it can be done. And that's a big wow. part of what we've always done in marketing, but especially so now. Yeah, that's absolutely remarkable. And um, I, I, it's so crazy to think about how work can change that quickly um, and how when you kind of rally folks around the need that it can really just flip a switch, right? To being able to say, hey, we need to do this right now. And uh, it's, it's a need. It's funny when you see this kind of like um, almost like a mental chasm where you have the hey, it's a nice to have to a need to have because of something, which probably meant that it was always a need to have, um, that they needed to find some solution to bridge that gap. Um, we were talking to uh, another guest who they did a Zoom integration for uh, a 200,000 plus uh, company in like 10 hours. Yeah. I mean, like it, it's like these sort of things are, you've been sitting there waiting as uh, someone who's holding budget for you know potentially years talking to your leadership team about how you want to do blank. And this is the time where it's like, Hey, I've been planning to have this budgeted. Like I'm ready. I've been ready. And the organization needs it right now and they can make something happen. And it's important to know that for marketers because there are, you know, there's ways to help your salespeople and there's ways to help with messaging and things like that. that can get, you know, one of those huge deals done way faster because the person who's wanted this for a long time just hasn't had enough senior leader buy-in or whatever it is. And you can say, hey, we can speed up implementation. We can get this stuff going right now. And fortunately, you know, Okta has a product that, that you can do that in, uh, with a massive organization in such a short amount of time. Yeah, that's totally true. And, you know, then the challenge for us becomes, all right, this is the message we have. Here's how we want to communicate it. Then how do you get that message to people? And a, a big part of our marketing effort historically was in-person events, whether those be, you know, a 6,000 person conference that we were holding ourselves or whether it be a, you know, very targeted uh, executive level event with just a few companies, those are all, they're just not on the table anymore. And actually relatively early on, we just made the decision that all of our events, no matter what, we're going to be virtual for, you know, for at least the next, you know, three to six months. And, you know, the team said, well, what about these five regional events we have tomorrow? said no they're virtual and we were worried that that was that was going to have an impact but what we found is that you know that that created some opportunities to think differently so for example if we were going to have a physical event with 15 or 20 people you know there were, maybe we we're going to host a dinner or a lunch and we instead hosted a zoom call with the, the same 15 or 20 people and we sent food to their houses and we had a virtual event and you know people have 
I've responded to that. I think in part because, you know, they, they, they're all looking for something to do, but everybody's sheltering in place, but also because, you know, um, you can be empathetic to what they're going through and sending food or, you know, food and beverages to somebody to help them, you know, while they're watching your event virtually, uh, is, is different. We've done some things like, you know, we interviewed some athletes. We interviewed Jerry Rice and Scotty Pippen, you know, just to, in a virtual event and let, you know, I interviewed Scotty Pippen, our CFO interviewed Jerry Rice, and uh, we let some, some customers and prospects listen in, um, as part of that. And, um, that's something that, you know, you can get people to come to those types of events, even if you can't gather them physically anymore. And then of course we should definitely talk about Octane, which is our, our, our annual conference. Yeah. And I'll, I'll get into some Octane questions in a second. I, I do want to jump back to like, how, how do you do that jump to, to the digital event when your marketing teams, your field marketing teams, um, and your sales teams, all of those AEs and different folks that are on the ground prepared to go to those events. How do you shift that? Because it seems like that would be really difficult to change not only the mindset, but just the actual activities, the, the, the things that they're going there to do. You know, if you have the, the, uh, you know, the account, the AE that's sitting there, Hey, I know that accounts are going to be at this event and I want to talk to all of them. Um, that's completely different in a digital environment. Um, so I'm just curious, like how'd you, how'd you shift priorities? Well, part of it is, you know, we feel like we're, we're realistic. You know, we just looked at what happened in the world and we didn't really have a choice. You know, it may not have been ideal, but we said, you know, there's a lot of people who called for just canceling the events overall. Hey, if we can't do it physically, we shouldn't do it at all. And that was actually um, something that we felt strongly about is, Hey, we're not going to put people's, safety at risk by holding a physical event, but that doesn't mean we're not going to do anything. And holding a virtual event we felt was better than nothing. And then we just, once we made that decision, we rallied around making those virtual events as, as good as we could and as unique as we could. And then we just took it on faith that we would get people there. Those same people who would have gone to a physical event, we felt confident that we could get them to go to a virtual event if we made it a valuable one. And then everybody immediately rallied around trying to do that we're actually surprised at the effectiveness of some of these virtual events, even, even to the point where I don't think we'll ever go back to purely physical events. It will be, in my opinion will be, you know, even when, when everything, and you know, hopefully it's sooner rather than later goes back to some semblance of, of normal, we'll still do a hybrid um, combination of physical and virtual events, just because what we've learned from the virtual side, we think would apply at, at any time, not just now. Yeah. So walk me through what happened with Octane. Cause this is an event, by the way, I, I attended, uh, virtually. So I was, I was one of the, uh, I was a Guinea pig as well, uh, in, in the process. Um, because I, I obviously know you and know a bunch of the folks on your team and, and just, and obviously have interviewed Freddie, uh, and so I, I, I kind of know the the quality that you all put together. And I was like, hey, you know, if if uh, if the Octa folks are going to do this, I'm sure that it's going to be really good. Um, I was beyond pleasantly surprised. I thought the whole thing was really interesting. Um, I thought uh, I thought that the way that certain speakers were presented was still like this halfway. Um, like an address to the audience and then a halfway as a talk. Like it was the whole thing was just really interesting to see how different people kind of interacted with the audience who weren't really familiar with like not having 
that kind of visceral reaction on stage to, to a group of people. Um, I just thought it was really well done. There was a cool kind of virtual, uh, like kind of a landing page that allowed you to kind of like go into the event. Like it was, uh, almost looked like a real event. Um, so I, you know, I was a fan, but I'm really so curious how, when you made the decision and said, we just got to do this hundred percent virtual. Like what did that change? Seemingly everything would change, you know, uh, at that moment in time. And, and what did the team do to, to, uh, rally? Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this, uh, on our side, m- many people on the team, this is a career defining type of event that happened to us, um, because it was unprecedented and there's no playbook and we had to do it on short order. And, we all feel like we pulled it off. And so, you know, that I'll, I'll give you some of the play by play. Cause I think that that helps just show how, even though we then thanks for the kind words about how, how it came together, even though it, it, we think it came together quite well, just how much chaos and, and, and frenetic activity was going on in the background. So th- for context, Octane is our annual customer conference and uh, user conference. And it was scheduled to be on April 1st in San Francisco. And we had targeted to get about 6,000 people there in Moscone. And so in, in mid-February, I asked the team to start to plan for contingencies. In mid-February, there was still no shelter in place. You know, still very few cases in, you know, talked about in the U.S. And so I just said, hey, at that point, our, our initial concern was that fewer people would attend a conference. Um, and I was worried that we wouldn't get the 6,000 people there just because people would be nervous about traveling. And we just stayed on, we did a bunch of contingency planning. Um, and then in like, in probably late February, early March. Can, can I jump in really quick? Yeah. I want to say too, that uh, for those folks who are listeners who are not familiar with kind of like, or maybe you've been to one, but you've never planned like a massive event sort of like this. I mean, you all start planning, you know, Octane the second the last one ends, right? Yeah. I mean, this is a year long planning process. You have headcount dedicated uh, to to doing this. It's, you know, millions and millions of dollars and all sorts of things that go into every single part of a massive event like this. Um, so it, it's something that you'd been planning for a long, long time already, just like you do every year, right? Oh, for sure. Yes. And, you know, it's getting the major product keynotes, products that we're going to announce. It's getting customers, executives from our customers to commit to to come and present as part of our keynotes. We did 75 different breakout sessions. So this would be roadmap sessions or other customers presenting their their success stories. It's getting guest keynote speakers. A couple years ago, we had President Obama. This year, our guest keynote speakers were going to be General Colin Powell, um, Amy Poehler, Sam Esmail. So getting all of them lined up. And we had all that lined up, ready to go. You know, you're six weeks out from your conference and you're putting the finishing touches on it, but so much work has gone into it. And that's a, it's good you bring that up because there's a psychology of, well, we've already done all this work and now we're going to change. And we had to keep reminding everybody that work is not work you're going to get back. You know, that's, that's sunk cost. What are we going to do going forward with what's happening? And in, in probably late February, early March, I had become convinced that it was not going to be responsible to, to hold the event. Um, but it wasn't clear what we should do. And so we had daily meetings with the executive team where we said, here are all the options. We looked at uh, rescheduling it, moving it to other time spots. That wasn't feasible for a couple of reasons, not least of which is it wasn't clear if things were going to get better in time for us to hold it. 
and we looked at maybe just canceling it, uh, is that it, would it be tone deaf during some kind of global pandemic to have a customer conference? And then ultimately what we decided is we said, the show must go on. We have a lot of product innovations. We have a lot of customers who want to tell their stories. And what I mentioned up front, what we have can really help people right now. We kind of have an obligation to, to keep going. And we said, let's make it virtual. Let's make it the best virtual event we can, but let's not make everybody feel like it has to be perfect since nobody has ever done anything like this. And that last part was very important. Um, we, you know, keep in mind, we made the decision to make it virtual about four weeks before the event. And so we completely had to retool everything and I can go into some of those details. But that is a huge team of people who have been working, as you mentioned, on this thing for almost a year. And now they're going to have three times the work in four weeks to, to change everything in while a global pandemic is happening. And we were really focused on making sure, you know, that didn't affect people's you know, mental health. It didn't affect their stress that they, we weren't asking them to do something that was really hard to do while they were trying to manage everything at home. But people, including myself now have young kids are trying to do this while they're helping their kids homeschool, things like that. And so we ended up really communicating quite clearly that you've, nobody's ever done this before. We're going to try and we're going to try our best. Uh, put in your best effort, but perfection is not possible. And so don't worry about that. And I think that balance helped a lot of people. It helped them feel like, okay, we can do this. If it doesn't work the way we, we intend, that's okay. But it also gave people a, a welcome distraction, something to focus on and something to rally around. And you know, it's interesting. What the uh, person on the team, her name is uh, Alyssa Smirker. Um, she's a vice president of corporate marketing in, in Octane, is largely on, on her team. She has a tweet storm uh, where uh, that she wrote about all the things we went through. She came up with a plan A, B, C, D, and E. You know, plan A was we were going to make it virtual and film it all on Moscone. And then if that wasn't possible, we were going to go to a sound studio. And by the time everything was said and done, we were on plan E because every single person involved with Octane had to do it from their homes, including the guest keynote speakers, the customers, our, our co-founders, um, everybody on the production team. We were all in our homes creating this virtual conference. And that was plan E. And we ended up going to that one. And it was an, an incredibly interesting experience, very taxing, but ultimately rewarding because we're all really proud of what, what, what happened. And even though we were all kind of distributed and remote from each other, I think it, it created a ton of bonds amongst the team um, just because of what we had pulled off. Well, it was really funny to see, you know, and Alyssa did an awesome job. Um, but the thing that you were mentioning with a lot of the folks that are working on it too, is that they're in the content. It's not just that those folks are like behind the scenes people. A lot of those people are like front and center, right? Like they're in keynotes, they're in transitions, they're in, they're introducing speakers, they're in that stuff. And their home is going to be broadcast to all of these people too, right? It's, it's not just that, um, you know, it's just, you know, work on the side, it's that they're in it, uh, and that they need to focus on the things that they're going to write and share and do that. Um, and it's just a very, very different feeling. Like as, I mean, I obviously, um, you know, work out of a, a home studio for a bunch of episodes of, of the podcast and stuff that we do. And so it's like the difference between that and being on a keynote stage is just 
a completely mentally different thing, right? Speaking into a microphone when you're surrounded by all of, you know, your uh, personal possessions and, uh, and, you know, your significant others in the other room and all that stuff. It's just very mentally different. Um, and it's different for all the speakers too. So the way that you prep speakers with like, and for, for those folks who haven't, you know, done a large scale event where it's like, there's like blocking on the stage that they're supposed to stand at. And like, you know, people are going through their speeches, depending on how nervous they are, like, you know, 20 times, all of the like dry runs, all that stuff. When it's at your home, it's just totally different. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure that the speakers were partially like some were like, yeah, whatever, this is easier. And some were probably even more nervous. Yeah, you know what, a key to that was we just decided to embrace the format, you know, recognizing that it's not going to be like, like it was when you're on a keynote stage, which is why if you look at our CEO, um, his keynote, Todd's keynote, he did a really good job of incorporating his family in his, in his home, yeah, totally. you know, he did it, walked around his home, he sang a song at the end, you know, um, it's the first time his wife has appeared in a keynote and it was, you know, it was really genuine and authentic and it just kind of didn't try to ignore what was happening and, and ignore the format, but rather just embrace it and, and make it uniquely our own. Um, you saw that happen in a bunch of different ways. So I mentioned you get, we get guest keynote speakers every year, like Colin Powell and Amy Poehler and Sam Esmail. So we really had a, a, a choice when we made the decision to, to make it virtual, you know, we could have gone and probably canceled those contracts. This, you know, this, we could have probably gotten out of those contracts. Uh, because, you know, having Amy Poehler in live in an audience is really inspiring. It gets a lot of people there in, this, in the seats paying attention. And it just it's one of the things that we've always really done well, I think, for Octane. We decided to, to still do that. And in the case of Colin Powell, I spent an hour with him prepping, letting him know about the company, what, what kind of things we stand for. It turns out he has, you know, a background in IT, one of the reasons we, we wanted him to speak. And so we talked yep. about IT and, you know, his, his role as a CIO of the State Department back in the day. And then he, uninterrupted, looking directly in the camera, gave a 45-minute long uh, talk that incorporated his leadership and his views on technology, but also was very much relevant to our audience and said some great things about our company. Uh, and we pulled that off. And But then somebody like Amy Poehler, you know, it was meant to be a, a fireside chat with her. How do you do a fireside chat? There's can't sit next to the person. So we had an awesome person on our team named Lindsay Life interview her over Zoom. And, you know, it was just Amy in her home office. We got to talk her through how to record on, you know, QuickTime and record on Zoom and save and export the files. And, you know, that turned out to be one of the, the best interviews. And we got so many people who said, you know, who sat there and watched it and loved it. And, you know, those are the kind of choices we had to make and find a way to, to pull things off. And I'm really happy with how it happened. Shout out to Lindsay. Lindsay's great. I've I've worked with her uh, a bunch of times now, and uh, she did an absolutely awesome job. And you could tell that she, this was a bucket list moment for her to be able to interview uh, Amy, and it came out really genuine, and it was great. Yeah, she she did a really good job. But and well, so and for our listeners, we'll link up the Colin Powell um, uh, talk because I'm a huge Colin Powell fan. I have been since my military time, and. Um, have read, I think all of his books and everything. So I was, I was super fired up to watch that, uh, him throwing absolute, just fastballs for 45 minutes was like incredible stuff for me. Um, specifically just, he's such a good speaker, but I, I was like pretty captivated by, um, by his talk and it really, 
you know, as someone who, who makes podcasts, um, for a living. And I just thought like, this is what's so interesting about events. And maybe we can, um, I, I want you to keep going through the play by play here, but, um, where you have things like that, that are purely a content play that you could reuse and resurface and cut a million different ways for the next foreseeable future, which is totally different than, you know, the way that other keynotes have been in the past. Um, it's just a different feel to the content. I think, um, like that, that particular interview, it was felt, felt pretty timeless to me. Um, and, I think that it's just a fascinating look at like, what is an event? Like what was Octane? It was a blend of things that are happening in real time in response to that. It was a blend of, you know, high quality, more evergreen kind of content. Um, but then what about the engagement? What about the peer to peer? What about, uh, you know, the other things, obviously you can't grab a drink or a fizzy water with, you know, your friend that you're catching up with, you know, that you haven't seen for five years or, you know, what about meeting new people and those serendipitous things that happen at events? Like where does that fall into this and how do you kind of cultivate a strategy around those things, which make events feel so memorable and not as much just content? Yeah. I mean, that's clearly the thing that we miss the most, which is the in-person networking relationship building aspect that always comes with an event like Octane when it's, when it's in, in one place. So we knew we weren't going to be able to, to capture that. But we did a lot of things like, you know, um, all the content was pre-recorded, um, but we didn't, it wasn't just available on demand. It would, it was still, we had them timed at certain sessions. So for example, our security roadmap was pre-recorded, but we played it at 11 o'clock in the morning, I think. And 3000 people came in and uh, logged in just to watch that one breakout session. But then the people who were presenting that pre-recorded material would be on the the virtual conference platform to answer questions, chat questions from the audience during the, the presentation and after. And then, so you got some connection there between the speakers and, and the presenters that you actually wouldn't have gotten in a, in a physical conference because you're up on a keynote stage. So we could actually do a live Q and a there. Um, and one of the things that, that we realized is, you know, I, I mentioned Octane when it was meant to be a physical event, we were targeting 6,000 people. We had over 20,000 people registered for the virtual event. And, yeah. um, you know, that that vastly surpassed our expectations. And as you mentioned, you know, when we had Octane in, on April 1st, a week or so in advance of it, I was talking with Todd, our CEO, he called me at night and was just checking in on, well, how's it going? And we had a discussion around, you know, is this the right thing to do? You know, we were just wanted to be sure we weren't being tone deaf. Holding an event like this in when with all that was happening, we just didn't want to appear tone deaf. And I told him, look, all, we're, we're recording all this content. We have all these product roadmaps, these customer success stories, all this great content. This stuff we'll be able to use at any point in the future. So we could cancel it the day before if we need to, but let's keep going and let's get all the content ready for the reason you mentioned. It's, it's evergreen content in many cases that we'll be able to use. It really is valuable to companies, whether they could attend on that day or not, they still can get real value from the content to help them transform their companies as they all need to right now. So that was one of the, the things that, made us confident that we should be pulling this event off in the way that we did. Well, and I think that the key there is that you have things that are timely and relevant and are right now, and then things that are more evergreen. And like, that's the blend that you want. And I think a lot of times, um, even the best conferences just do such a horrible job of capturing the content and then creating like a 
quote unquote track for later on in life, like creating a stream, creating something that people could go back and, and, and look at. For example, like I loved your interview with Ben Horowitz because Ben is great and, and you did an awesome job um, in that. But that's something that, you know, you could check in with, uh, you know, you could stumble across in three years and it's going to be um, even potentially more interesting than it was at that snapshot in time. And I think, you know, how companies think about like start dissecting what an event is now and like what a digital event is and like how do we figure out how to make these things into like mini tracks and mini um, digestible segments and things like that. I think so much more work can be thought into how this stuff lives on rather than like how it lives in the exact moment in time. And like that's that's pretty exciting for marketers because I think every single content marketer could agree that um, they're starving for extremely high quality stuff. They're not starving for, you know, the $10, uh, uh, $10 an article stuff. They're not starving for the stuff that is not interesting. What they're starving for is, you know, the, uh, hey, I'm going to get a 20 minute fireside with Ben Horowitz where he's talking about, you know, stuff related um, to leadership. Uh, that's That's the gold that you want. Yeah, well, that's the way we thought about it. Make it as high quality as we can, do the very best we can and, you know, take it on faith that people will come and watch it and get get benefit from it. So then what, um, you know, we got to talk about the the downsides here. What were the things that you wish you could do differently in the future? What are the downsides to just all virtual events in general? Like what are, what are some of those things that you think um, like, hey, this is this was extremely successful because, you know, 20,000 people tuned in. And if you came and tuned in to two sessions, that's still a win for us because that's great that you liked those sessions. But like what were people a little bit less than than happy? You know, I don't know. So I think you kind of touched upon it before. There are some people for whom the the networking and the relationship building is a lot of the value of any conference they go to. And, you know, you just didn't get that here. But at the same time, if I look at from the, the business results from Octane this year, we got way more leads, qualified leads, than we would have gotten with, from our physical conference, just because there were so many more people who could attend. So my, I think, you know, if, if we were to project forward and say next April, you know, everything is, everything is okay and people can travel, I think Octane next year will not just be a physical conference, even if we were able to, to make it one. I think it's going to be a combination the people for whom they get the benefit of going there and, and meeting in person, they're still going to want to travel and they can, but then we can make virtual aspects of it available to, to many more people stating the obvious, you know, you can reach a lot more people on a virtual conference. Than you can a physical conference and we shouldn't have to choose between the two. And I don't think that we will how, what form that takes, you know, still we got to figure that out. Cause I think we, we, this is our eighth octane. And, you know, I think the first seven that we did, we really nailed the physical conference. We think it was getting bigger every year, but we, we felt like it was one of the highest quality events. Now, this event was completely virtual, brand new. I think next year we're going to do something brand new as well with a hybrid conference. Well, this, so this is a critical thing. And I think that what you spoke to is the, is the exact right way to, to try to figure out how these things go forward. What always was the concern of, of people who put on events was, well, if we make it available to everyone, then no one will spend their, you know, the 1500 bucks to buy the ticket to come in person and we'll have a worse off experience. And the truth of the matter is, if you're sitting in another country and you don't have the money to go there, or you're sitting in, you know, some other place and you and your your budget just got cut and you can't go to the event, 
the idea that you could give someone 6% of the conference or much more than that virtually, that still is a huge win for that person. And it's a win for your organization versus the people who actually want to go physically to the event. They've opted into it a much more physical experience. So you can focus on the physical experience for the people who want to be there in person. And then you can focus on more of the digital experience for the people who are going to be there virtually. Like I think that's a huge opportunity to build a more depth of engagement based off of how people are like selecting into the, into the experience. Right. Totally. Yes. I mean, there's been, you know, many discussions about with how the world has changed because of COVID-19 what things are accelerating that would have happened normally, what things are going to go away forever and what things will, will never change back. And I, you know, just working remotely in general, Octa was ahead of this, you know, the head of our workplace services. Um, his name is Armin. He, we've been talking about creating a dynamic workplace as, as he calls it for way before COVID-19. What's the best combination of offices and remote work, tools and infrastructure to help us work dynamically. So that we just now accelerated our plans um, as a company and that's, that's paid off in a bunch of different ways. I personally don't think that when we're able to go back into the offices, as many people will do, will do so as, as you expect, because working remotely has changed in ways that I don't think it's going to change back. So, and I think the conferences is similar. It's changed now to a point where we're never going to go fully back to the way it was. Um, We think we can take the best of both worlds when we, when we're able to. I mean, this is one of the reasons why we were so excited about podcasts in general as as a as a medium is because you have global reach. It's like platform agnostic. It's device agnostic. Like it's all these things where it's like, oh, instant accessibility from everywhere that people can consume content that is directly, you know, relevant to them. It's really a seamless experience for, you know, delivery of audio content. So then and you can reach people in, you know, whatever. I think this this podcast is in like 150 countries or something like that. Like that's the stuff that I think just thinking about how these, you know, it's the it's the adage um, of, you know, if you if you have one person at your company that's a, that's remote, then you have a remote company, right? We were all remote companies anyways. We just didn't necessarily know it. So now we can focus on building a seamless remote experience for our employees and for, you know, our customers and our events. And then it's like we can, you know, double down on the things that make in-person events even more special or in-person, you know, office experiences even more special. Because I think there's going to be a lot of people after this that are like, I love love going into the office. I, w- I want to definitely make sure that I go in every day. Um, and that's fine too, you know? Yeah. It's funny. We have, there's a leadership meeting that I have. It's uh, a diverse group of, you know, director level uh, and above type people across, you know, marketing and sales development and enablement. It's about, by me, 30 people in this meeting. We have it twice, twice a month. And we've always had, you know, probably 70% of the people in the room and 30% of the people remote. But now that meeting puts us all in a level playing field. We are all dialing in via Zoom. And I, uh, one of the the women on my, leaders on my team, her name is Liz Kakoska. She suggested that that meeting should always be everybody on Zoom, even if we're all able to be in the same physical space. And she's totally right. Um, because the people who were the 30% that were remote didn't have the same experience. They couldn't participate as much. They couldn't maybe hear as much because of the audio in the room, things like that. So even, even when we're able to work in the office, I think some meetings will will be all virtual just to put everybody on a level playing field. There's one other thing that I'll say about, uh, you know, maybe not marketing leadership, but about the, one of the leadership um, lessons that I and uh, I think others have learned at Octa throughout this. 
which is we have had to continuously communicate uh, something that's important, but also do it in a new way. The thing that we've tried to communicate to everybody is the number one priority is your health and your safety and your well-being and that of your family and your friends and your community. That's the number one priority. Number two priority is to make sure that the Octa service is up and running so that all the customers who count on it can still can still use it. We're a critical infrastructure. And then priority number three is to run the business and move things forward. Making it clear to people that their their health and safety and well-being is is number one, even more important than pushing the business forward, has has been important because people are struggling uh, in a bunch of different ways right now and we want to make it clear. We tell them that Okta is a unique company. We are built for the long term. We have a decades-long vision and you know, uh, if people aren't taken care of, we're never going to realize that vision. So there's a real pragmatic reason. But just having to communicate that over and over again, I have found, and I mean, I, I guess it's, um, it's a cliche. You have to repeat things over and over again with large organizations. But in this one, I've, I've uh, found that we have to repeat it over and over. But we also, to get to, to the, one of your points, we have to do so asynchronously. It can't all be join a meeting and then we'll talk about it. So we've been doing things like posting videos of ourselves. Um, asynchronous communication usually comes in the form of email, but a lot of nuance gets lost in email. So many people will record a video of themselves and then post it on Slack or send it out over email. So you're still getting to hear from the person directly, but you're not having to do so at the same time that that person is, is uh, communicating it. You can do it when it makes sense for you. And that's asynchronous communication is something that I'm uh, trying to incorporate a lot more into how I'm communicating across the teams, especially with very important concepts like take care of yourself first and, and, and work second. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I'm, it's really cool to hear you say that because I think that, um, you know, it's, and it's funny hearing Colin Powell talk about a lot of his leadership, um, you know, challenges and philosophies and things like that as somebody who grew up in the military, because, um, so much of that is, is like, you know, everything in the military is like about taking care of soldiers is like, you know, if, uh, you know, your feet are super important because if you have feet problems then you can't walk and like all these things and everything is just boiled down to the elemental, like at the soldier level, like, are you good? Is your equipment good? Is your health good? Uh, is your mental health good? Like all of those, like the basic level, um, is everything okay? And it's so interesting you know, during a time of crisis where it's like so many leaders that just fundamentally haven't been asking that question of their folks. Um, and it's really cool and refreshing to hear people like you making that a big deal and not only just like evangelizing that internally, but like to your peers, because I think that a lot of folks just didn't really ever have that kind of training, uh, you know, one way or the other. And it's not to say, you know, you're a bad leader or anything like that. It's just that, that it is the most important thing. Um, you know, your quota is not the most important thing. Your, you know, your, you know, pipeline is not the most important thing. Like you are, and you're not going to be as effective if, uh, if things are, you know, if you're, if you're in trouble at home and like, that's totally okay. And that's what leaders are there for is to talk about those things. Yeah. We've, you know, we've have a practice where, you know, most meetings now, especially large meetings, you, you jump right into the agenda, but we'll start by going around and, you know, talking to genuinely asking how you're doing, share, you know, share something that you found that works well or that you've been struggling with and just connecting more in that way. And did that 
in, in part just to make sure we're in touch with everybody, but it's been very helpful just to, to connect in that way in a variety of formats. I mean, I have a ton of one-on-ones um, across the, the team and across the organization. And a big chunk of our one-on-ones are just checking in with each other. How are you doing? How's it going with your kids? If you have them, you know, how are you finding things? Um, and that, you know, it's probably a good lesson that we maybe should have been doing more of that before something like this. Um, and that's something that I, I think won't change, you know, all the way going back. We'll still connect it, connect with people and check in in that way. So final piece on Octane here, um, you know, any, um, any notes uh, that you have for other folks that are trying to do a, a, a conference that are, I mean, well, I think it was just announced recently. I think Dreamforce is going to be 100% remote. I mean, I think pretty much uh, it seems like, uh, and I don't know at the time when we air this, but more or less like events are mostly in-person events are, are canceled um, or rescheduled for a long time at this point. So um, it seems like there's going to be a lot of people that need this advice. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know of a single major conference. It's not going to be virtual. Even, you know, Microsoft even announced all the way through mid-2021 which is the end of their fiscal year, all their comp, all their events are virtual. So the main piece of advice I would give is just embrace the format, you know, uh, and make it, I think many people have had this experience. You're on a Zoom call and somebody's pet or kids or somebody will come in or their, their, their significant other will come in. And what may have seemed like something embarrassing is just now a normal part of working as everybody's over Zoom. Um, and so I would embrace the format and make it, make it um, human and, you know, we have a long-standing tradition at Okta, going back to 2012. Anytime we produce any kind of video, whether it's, you know, a video talking about our values or a product or something like that, we always do outtakes. We do a blooper reel. And this year, because everything was virtual and everything was recorded, we had so much material to create a blooper reel that the one that we unveiled inside the company was something like eight minutes long. It was a giant blooper reel, and we just had had fun with it. Um, it's one of It's one of our favorite things to not take ourselves too seriously. And, and it's a good example of embracing the format and try to be creative with it. Don't try to make a virtual conference look exactly like, I, like what you thought your physical conference would have looked like, but just over, over Zoom. Be, be creative and be unique with the format. Well, I, before we started recording this, was uh, getting pinged by some folks on the team about um, what was, uh, what's the login for, for one of the <laughs> technologies that we use. So clearly we're going to be looking into, uh, into Okta, uh, in the, in the next, uh, 24 to 48 hours. Cause, uh, we should not be getting those emails. So, I mean, as always, I'm, I'm super excited to, uh, follow along with, uh, with Okta's journey, with everything that, uh, that you all are doing, Ryan. And, and I appreciate you taking the time, any kind of final thoughts on, um, on kind of the state of, uh, where everything is going, um, or, uh, or, or the next few months and, and how you're thinking about things? Yeah, I think I mentioned it a little bit, but, you know, I don't know how, if anybody really knows how things are going to play out. Anybody who does say that probably doesn't really know. Um, and so you do have to keep your eye on the long term. You have to make tough choices sometimes. You know, we, we've certainly had to adjust our budgets in different ways um, uh, and just make those decisions quickly. But then, you know, for us, because we do feel like we have our, our eye on, you know, not, not this quarter or this year, but many years out, we feel like we're building a, an iconic company that will take a long time to do that because we have a, a real opportunity to create something unique. Making sure that you keep your eye on the long term helps you make some of these shorter term decisions, um, whether that be about marketing or, or otherwise. And um, 
Yeah. I mean, if you're going to have your eye on the long term, you got to take care of yourself and take care of your people. Um, you can't you can't achieve something big over a long period of time without doing that. And we, we continually remind ourselves. And that's a piece of, of advice I'd give to everybody as well. Awesome. Thanks again for joining. We got to have you back soon. Uh, it's always great chatting with you. Yeah. Thanks again. Hope you are, you yourself are staying uh, healthy and safe and, and sane and, and keeping well. Always. Thanks, brother. Take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.